Well, our sermon text tonight comes from 2 Chronicles 32. If you could turn there in your copy of God's Holy Word. We're going to consider verses 25 and 26, but I will begin the reading at verse 20. As you turn there, for some context, we jump into the Chronicles at the end of King Hezekiah's days. We pick up our narrative when the king of Assyria threatened to destroy Judah after, as you boys and girls might know, Full well, he mocked the God of Israel, the God of Judah, and uh, his people. And here we begin with Hezekiah and Isaiah's response in verse 20. Verses 25 and 26 are our focus, however. But if you could uh, give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Second Chronicles 32, verse 20. These are the very words of God. And for this cause... Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel, which cut off all the mighty men of valor, and the leaders and captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he was come into the house of his God, they that came forth of his own bowels slew him there with the sword." Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all other, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. In those days, Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord. And he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come to the word and we come to the preached word. And we pray, Father, that you would enable your minister to preach in a way that would cause the people of God, by the Spirit's conviction, to humble themselves before you, that they would ever be thankful. We pray that you would give the Spirit of the Lord to the preacher to do this, as well as the Spirit of God to the congregation who will hear this. Oh, Father, we pray that for the glory of God, you would enable the preaching of the word to be most blessed now. So we pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we find in this text that the root of thanksgiving is a posture of humility before the Lord. That's where we find the root of thanksgiving. You know, the proud are never truly thankful to God. They really aren't. They never really say thank you to the Almighty, do they? They always look to themselves for the source of every blessing. And when the proud religious man says thank you to the Almighty, like the Pharisee, he is self-congratulatory. I thank you, O Lord. Why? That I am not as other men are. You see, the proud man 
doesn't really have thankfulness to God. It is the humble heart only, filled with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that can give true thanks to God. The humble man says to the Lord, All that I am, all that I have, all my blessings, they are sourced in you, God. Even a crust in their cupboard, right? You think of this. They know and they admit, there is no way I could have created that bread. It comes from you, God. No matter how meager it is, they are thankful to have it. The proud man, on the other hand, even the poor proud man looks at that same crust and despises it, wondering why he does not have more. He thinks he is owed more. The humble man knows his entrance into heaven is not by his works, not by his goodness, but by Jesus Christ's. And he marvels that God is so good to him. And he is thankful. The proud man looks on his religious life and his works and in effect says, God, you should be glad that I am so devoted to you, unlike other men. While the humble man looks into his own heart and the evil therein and truly wonders how in the world could the Lord have ever been so merciful to me, a sinner. All that to say then, the root of true thanksgiving is a posture of humility before God. A posture that admits all that we have, whether spiritually or materially, is undeserved. And to recognize that it is the Lord's benefits to us that uh, we find our blessings. Uh, if we would admit that, it would cause us to render heartfelt thanks to him. Yet how often are we like those nine lepers who are miraculously healed by the Lord Jesus, how Jesus marveled at them, and not in a good way. They never returned to give thanks for their healing. He said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, in Luke 17. Do you see how quickly, you know, these men for years, years probably, have been begging and pleading with the Lord, heal me. They're healed and they don't return to give glory to God. That's what's naturally in our heart, friends. And we find that this evil of pride and unthankfulness is not only found in Pharisees and those nine lepers, but here in our text we found, we find that it is in, it was in one of the most godliest kings of all, Hezekiah, one of the godliest men who've ever lived on the face of the earth. And what we say is, if it can be found in him, what about you and me? So our theme is, we must humble ourselves and render to the Lord according to his benefits, which is what we have come to do tonight. And we have two headings tonight. First is to see that thankfulness is opposed by pride, and second, that thankfulness is expressed by way of humility. First, thankfulness is opposed by pride. Just a bit of background. Our text concerns the history of King Hezekiah of Judah. As I've said, one of the most godliest and most zealous kings for the glory of God. You read of his zeal and love for the Lord in his introduction to us in 2 Kings 18. I'll read verses 3 to 8 of that chapter and pay attention to what this man was. And he, that is Hezekiah, did with that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places, he broke the images, and cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan, 
He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he claved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He smote the Philistines even unto Gaza and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. Here is a rare man in Judah's history. A godly king. He trusted in the Lord. There's not a king of Judah before him or after him like him. He broke idols, even the bronze serpent that turned into a snare. They were offering incense to it. He claved to the Lord. He cleaved to the Lord and kept his commandments. And the Lord was with him. He prospered whatever he did, even in battle against the Philistines. Hezekiah is known as a godly man, a reformer, and a man commended by God. His life, as shown in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah and in the Chronicles, shows a man who was dependent on the Lord. When the king of Assyria disparaged or threatened Judah and disparaged the Lord, he said, I'll paraphrase, all the nations and all their gods have fallen before me and your God, Hezekiah, is no better. What did Hezekiah do? He fled to the Lord. He showed his trust was in Jehovah, communicating that trust to his people. Up in verse 8 of our chapter, you read him say of the Lord, with him, is an arm of flesh, but with us is the the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. His words are so full of faith that even his people, even his people rested and it affected them. Uh, The Lord works through godly leaders in that way. Well, in verse 20, Hezekiah and Isaiah cried out to the God of heaven where we began our reading, and the Lord sent an angel to wipe out the Assyrians. And we read here, all the nations really took note of it. And you ask yourself, how could they not, right? Many of them and their idols had fallen before the king of Assyria. That's why the king of Assyria was so boastful. Yet here is Hezekiah's nation, and here is Hezekiah's God, who alone is victorious against the Assyrians. And so in verse 23, And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah king of Judah. And listen to this. So that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. Are you starting to understand how pride can start to rise up in the heart of Hezekiah here? Though he had expressed faith and dependence and trust in the Lord, he was now being magnified by all the nations, which is really an honor that prefigures the honor Christ will have, of course. But here Hezekiah is taking it to himself. And then in verse 24, Hezekiah becomes sick. He prays to the Lord, and you might know this. The Lord extends his life a miracle. The Lord granted this godly man uncounted blessings. He truly had. And then sadly we read in verse 25, But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. His heart was filled with pride. Hezekiah did not render thanks to the Lord that he was due. How much the Lord had blessed Hezekiah with. Idolatry removed, religion restored, death averted, calamity gone, a nation that has prospered, the fame of his rule spreading. And in the face of all that, rather than humility, his heart is lifted up. He had run afoul of God's warning to Israel in Deuteronomy 8, 14 through 17. Then 
thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein there were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, when there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, what? My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. That's how our hearts are lifted up. Why does God warn us? Because when we prosper or we receive blessing, we forget who did it. We say in our heart, if not in our mouth, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this. And we forget that all of God's blessings are of grace, unearned, undeserved. And it's most astonishing, perhaps, as I consider my own heart, but Hezekiah here too in the scripture, that when we are so incredibly blessed, the perverseness of our heart is not to give more glory to God. Our hearts become lifted up instead. You know, sometimes we pray to the Lord, we plead with the Lord, he blesses us, then as the lepers or Hezekiah, we do not return to give glory to God. I have no doubt that Hezekiah was a thankful man many times in his life. But something perverse happens as our blessings multiply. Our thankfulness often decreases, just as it was for Hezekiah. It's almost like we start to believe we deserve all of these many blessings. Why am I so blessed? Well, I say I must deserve it. Or this must be what God gives to me because, well, he, I, I deserve it. It's not really grace. It just must be what he must give me. Think of it yourself. You probably began your Christian life by reveling in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you wondered how a sinner like yourself could possibly have the love of God. You wondered how it could be that Jesus could have and would have bled for you. And when you first recognized the grace of God, how exceedingly thankful you probably were. You wanted to sing the praises of God all day. You wanted to live for righteousness and for God. You wanted to tell all others, as the demoniac did, uh, about Jesus. Though you knew that you could never, ever render according to all his benefits in Christ, you wanted to render something, anything, whatever you could, out of thankfulness to God for his grace. Why? Because your heart was not lifted up with pride, but instead, your heart was lifted up in thankfulness. The song of your heart was, He had raised up the poor out of the dust and lifted the needy out of the dunghill. And how thankful you were when you were so keenly acquainted with the dunghill to be lifted out of it. But at some point, we become numb to grace and pride arises. And you can believe you are not what you are by the grace of God, but by your own flesh. You can believe that your estate is of the work of your hands and not the Lord's gift to you. You can believe that you are owed all good things in life rather than say with Jacob, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies. Genesis 32 verse 10. Your heart is lifted up and you do not thank the Lord for his mercies to you. But we have to take note because the Lord will chasten those who are his. As for Hezekiah, there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. The Lord is displeased, friends, and will chasten us until we are humbled for our pride. 
If you are being chastened today of the Lord, search out your ways. What does Proverbs 18.12 say, boys and girls? Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. We must especially be watchful in times of prosperity and blessing. What did Psalm 36, Psalm 30, verse 6, the psalmist say sinfully? In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Do you feel secure, beloved, in your estate and your spiritual attainments? Is there a carnal form of security that says to you, I shall never be moved? You need to put that away. You need to grow in humility. You need to grow in awe and in wonder of what you have. You know, the gospel isn't not designed, and maybe we don't think of it this way, but we should. The gospel is designed to kill our pride. It is designed to say, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies, much less the Son of God. I deserve nothing. I deserve nothing but wrath. But the Lord has given me so much grace. I marvel that in myself I am not more righteous than those who will perish in their sin. But that for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost, if it were not for that, I would have hell set before me. That alone is a meditation worthy of infinite praise. But let us also recall as Americans, we are such an entitled people materially. The poorest of us in this place is far richer than the the, the top percentile throughout all of human history. We have just eaten, and maybe the, in America we would consider that meal uh, fairly meager. I don't think so, but uh, we would be we are eating like kings, essentially, before the service. Our hearts are so lifted up in this nation, and we forget that the Bible says if we have food and clothing, that is enough. And it makes me fear how little gratitude I have for what I have. Also, you notice here from Hezekiah that rulers whose hearts are lifted up, whether they rule in church or in state, will also have their whole people afflicted for their pride. That's something that us as elders tonight must take note of. Or even to parents and managers in the workplace. Note that wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for Hezekiah's pride. Your family, your church, your nation, depending on where you rule, can be affected for your pride. And pride is also infectious among the people, because the people take on the character of their leaders. And uh, you can perhaps, and I had, I was no fan of the man, Donald Trump. You think of him for a moment. That man had a terrible effect on the people, made them prideful and boastful. No matter what you think of his politics, just the effect he had even on people, friends I had in the church, it was awful to see. But think on Judah for a moment. She was prone to be proud. You would think of this when she compared herself to Israel, if you know anything of the history. Because in the fourth year of Hezekiah's reign, Israel was taken into captivity. And by who? The Assyrians. The Assyrians. It is not too much to think that the effect on the people is something like this. We are so much more faithful than those Israelites. Jehovah defeated Assyria for us, not them, because we are a more faithful people. There is a subtlety there, for sure, because Jehovah did honor them for honoring him, but that can lead to a heart lifted up. 
if you are not humble. Churches like ours can easily fall into this kind of snare like Hezekiah and Judah. When men, churches, and nations fall, we must say, let us take heed lest we fall. When surveying Ligonier's State of Theology survey, let us not grow haughty, but fear. And for all of us in our lives, when we look on others or we consider other families, when you are tempted to look down on their sins, do not grow haughty, but fear, lest pride arise in your hearts. We must be on guard because there is even for the religious person a kind of prideful, self-congratulatory thanksgiving. Sin is such a deceitful thing, friends. It really is. In Luke 18, 11, I've already mentioned this. We read of an abominable kind of thanks. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. <laughs> I like that. He prays to himself, essentially. God, I thank thee. What are those words? I thank thee. But what? That I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You know, you can pat yourself on the back and say you're giving thanks to God, make it a show, but it's only to trumpet your own self. You think of this, sin is so perverse that you can go to God, essentially, and thank him in a perverse way. We have to check our hearts. We must not be like the Pharisee, but the publican who could see nothing but his own sin and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So how do we remedy this? Well, the prescription is simple. You have to humble yourself. Look at verse 26, Hezekiah's remedy. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. The prescription is simple. The practice is hard. It requires the grace of God. James 4, 6, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, even your humility comes from the grace of God, doesn't it? Even being humbled is a grace. And so you must ask for it. Lord, make me humble. Put to death my pride. Kill my self-centeredness. Show me Christ as my head. Make me a servant and of the Lord and of my neighbor. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, you see that? God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. First Peter 5, 5-7. I don't know if you noticed this as I read, but in both James and Peter, they cited Proverbs three thirty four. But he giveth grace unto the lowly. That is key, friends. That is key. We must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God to know what? That as creatures, we are as dust in our being. And as sinners, on top of that, we have forfeited all blessings. That's where you begin in humility, to know what you are. And it will cause you to be thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Pharisee, he stands in for our flesh. And he is a model of the religious man who gives false thanks and pride. When he looked on his neighbor, right, the tax collector, he only saw the very worst in him. He didn't see a man humbled before God, not looking up. The remedy to that, the Bible says, is to see others as better than us and to look out for them. 
Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You see, our problem is that we often look on others and we think of ourselves as better. That's why we often will point to them. And what do we see when we look at our brother or our sister? We look at all their faults, don't we? And we never look at their graces. But we're so perverse because when we look at ourselves, we see nothing but graces and never any faults. Right? And the remedy is to flip that around so that you would discover the evils in your heart and you would see the graces of the Lord in your brother and your sister. And you would say, if only I were that gracious, if only I were that kind, if only I could look out for others as they do, or whatever their graces are. And so when it comes to thankfulness, Thomas Manton said something really wonderful, especially when it considers a night like this. It's not words and ceremonies, formal acknowledgments and days of thanksgiving <laughs> tonight, that God standeth upon, but holy and humble carriage under mercies. It's the heart, friends, always that the Lord wants. Where the heart stands with the Lord is important, not even our presence here, not the formality of certain words that we can speak. You've seen the words of the Pharisee are an abomination. And I pray that our presence here is out of thankfulness and not formality tonight. A heart of humble thanks will learn then how to express thanks. And that will be our final heading, thankfulness expressed in humility. Well, if Hezekiah did not render according to the benefit done unto him due to pride, what is the duty then? You know, we always, this is a principle of interpretation. The duty is the opposite, isn't it? The duty we have is to render to the Lord according to the benefit done to us out of humility. How can you do this though? If you do not remember what the Lord has done, if you do not discover what the Lord has done for you, this is one of the reasons why we had men give their testimonies tonight, so that we may discover what the Lord has done. See, that's where it begins. You cannot be thankful if you don't know what the Lord has done. And where you always begin is with gospel mercies. With gospel mercies, the Lord of glory crucified for my sin. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Every word there, every word there ought to make you leap for joy. But see how high and lifted up our hearts are? We often read that text and we just breeze through it and we don't find thankfulness there for God, do we? This is undeserved mercy of the most extravagant kind that any sinner could ever hope for, friends. And we are so lifted up in our pride. If you think you're not... Well, every time you read text like that and you are not with your face pressed to the floor in thankfulness, your heart is lifted up and mine is too. And then to top it off, right, in addition to gospel mercies, there are particular matters to remember as our brethren expressed tonight. And this morning, because it was going to be our day of thanksgiving, I thought on particular kindnesses from the Lord for myself. 
my family, I won't go into details, my family, my ordination, my home, my church family here. And I was grieved when I thought on those things because I just discovered how unthankful I have been to the Lord. I have been blessed with so much. And I'm tempted to think that I have done it all or I deserve it. Like Hezekiah, my heart is often lifted up when I should say with Jacob, I am not worthy of the least of all mercies. And so it begins with a meditation on what the Lord has given you, that it is all of grace, that everything we have, child of God, is a token of love and kindness from the Almighty to us, a sinner. And so after we recognize that and, and we are, are drawn to our knees in thankfulness, how might we express thanks to the Lord? How do we answer the question we read of in Psalm 116, verse 12? What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Has that ever been a question for you? Have you ever asked the question, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Now, first, we understand from the psalm that that question is partly rhetorical. The the answer is no man could ever possibly render unto the Lord. No Christian, no saved sinner could ever possibly render to the Lord what he has been given. You can never render to the Lord that you have been given Christ. And that is one reason you will sing his praises eternally. Just as the sinner apart from Christ will pay for their sin eternally, the saint will sing God's praises eternally because they have received infinite blessing from God. But though the question is rhetorical, you are called to render unto the Lord as Hezekiah was called uh, for all his benefits towards me. And I thought on six ways, and I'll be brief here, that the Bible shows us to express our thanks to God. And the first is, and it's the root of all others, It is to show love to God. It's to respond in a growing of love to the Lord, the greatest commandment. Listen to Psalm 116, verses 1 through 2, which we read. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. This is a psalm for the Christian who meditates on the Lord's benefits. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And it begins by what? I love the Lord. Our hearts must be warmed with the love of God who has done great things for us. And a man or woman who loves their God will find the sacrifice of praise and the thanks that we are owed to God. We would find it real easy to give. The second is a response of fear or reverence. That is inseparable from the love of God. You remember our time in Hosea, Hosea 3.5. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. The more you see how undeserving you are for the least of the Lord's mercies, the more you reverence the Lord. The holy God of heaven gave himself for me to save me from his wrath by taking it on himself. Must reverence the Lord for such awful goodness. Romans 2, 4, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God is meant 
to cause you to grow in fear and reverence for God. It should cause you to worship the Lord with greater reverence and adoration. To recognize the goodness of God undeserved makes one tremble at how good he is. How good he is to the most unworthy of creatures. That takes us to the third response, a response of praise. The Lord should be praised for his goodness. And the more you know his goodness, the more you ought to want to sing his praises. In many ways, this is the predominant action of thanks the Lord expects. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. How often? Continually. Continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. As in our call to worship, the sacrifice of praise is what the Lord is after. This is burden, not light, beloved. He gave his son as a sacrifice for sin to be bruised and broken for us. And what is the sacrifice he expects in return? Simply that we would praise him. Simply that we would praise him for it. It's strange, right, that if prayer is neglected by the Christian, praise is even more neglected by the Christian. So you must make sure that the sacrifice of praise is part of your spiritual diet. And you see these, these they, they are almost like mirrors here. You are to pray without what? Ceasing. And you are called in Hebrews 13, 15 to praise continually. You see that, friends? Yet, <laughs> prayer and praise are both neglected, though they are commanded to be continual. So praise the Lord by way of psalms in your personal and family worship. A thankful soul and a thankful home would do it. Not just in corporate worship, but in the home. Fourth, pay your vows to the Lord. In Psalm 116, verse 12, after the psalmist asks, what can he render to the Lord for all his benefits? In verse 14, he says, I will pay my vows unto the Lord. If you're thankful, think on all the vows that you have taken. Your baptismal vows, your membership vows, your marriage vows. Those are all just common vows common to all of us. But... Some of us have taken vows to the Lord if he would grant us a blessing. And we must pay our vows. You must perform the vows you have made after he has blessed you. I will pay my vows unto the Lord. It's also a neglected duty uh, for us to consider. Often we make vows before we receive a blessing. But it is also the case that you can make a vow after receiving a benefit. Out of thankfulness. In Psalm 56, 12, vows and praise are intertwined as a response of thanks. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. You think of this. Sometimes we are, in a way, a bit more selfish than we ought to. We make a vow to the Lord. Do If you do this for me, Lord, I will do that. But if you really think about it, the better portion is, you've done something for me, Lord. I will constrain myself to more duties before you out of thankfulness. And that brings us to fifth. Constrain yourself to obey the Lord, especially when you realize that the Lord has not punished you as your sins deserve. Is Ezra 9:13 through 14. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou our God hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve and hast given us such deliverance as this. Here's the question. Should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Even when he chastens us for our sin, 
We must say, God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve. He has given us such deliverance as this by condemning sin in his son's flesh that we should say, should we again break thy commandments? And we would obey the Lord. Sixthly and lastly, you are to spread his glory and his fame. That is a work of thanksgiving. Psalm 107.22, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. You already heard from Mark 5.19 in our time of personal testimonies. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. This is not sinful boasting if our boast is in the Lord. Jeremiah 9.24, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. May all who know you say that you glory in the Lord for what great things he has done for you. Can they say that? I don't believe anything, even if an unbeliever says, I don't believe anything that they have to say about religion, but I know this much. This person, this man, this woman glories in their God for what they have done for him or her. And so we've considered six responses of thanksgiving for the Lord's grace. None of these, mind you, earn merit with the Almighty, but they are avenues. They're an expression of a heart that is in love with God for thankfulness. Your heart, really, if you were thankful, would would yearn for ways. What can I do to show thankfulness to God? And those are six ways to do it. And lastly, our text shows this. The greater the mercy received, the greater our thanks must be. Hezekiah did not render or repay, and listen to this, according to the benefit done unto him. Even nature teaches this kind of thing, doesn't it? When someone gives you a great gift, you have a greater sense of humble thanks for it. You're staggered. Wow, you gave me that thing. And the Lord Jesus Christ has given you this principle. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Luke twelve forty eight. For instance, if the Lord has delivered me from a great illness, as he did Hezekiah, one that seemed fatal, doctors have said, you have a week to live, and that's about it. But then the Lord delivers me. Should I not give him a greater expression of thankfulness than for my daily bread at the dinner table? And mind you, you should be very thankful for that. But shouldn't we render more to the Lord for greater mercies? We ought to say great deliverances, great blessings require great thanksgiving. Whether it is to set aside a day to give praise and thanks to the Lord like we have today, and that's not just something for the church to do. You can do it yourself in your own life. You can say, let me take this day and let me praise God this day. I will take a day off of work or whatever. Put everything aside so that I may praise my God. Or whether you say, I will have a greater resolve by the grace of God to combat my sinfulness because you have done such great things for me, God. Or whether it is to perform certain good works for his name's sake because of mercies received. Whether it is to resolve to make vows of Christian service or whatever else you may prayerfully. This is not, these are not prescriptions, mind you. These are between you and God where you might prayerfully consider from scripture how to render to the Lord. And as we close then tonight, all of us who believe must remember that in the gospel, 
the Lord has given us the greatest of all benefits. Life everlasting through the life and death of Jesus Christ as a free gift. And that's why after 11 chapters on the grace of God in the book of Romans, Romans 12 exhorts, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, what is a reasonable expression of thanks for Jesus Christ and the grace of God and the gospel? It is to render my whole life a living sacrifice, which is called a reasonable sacrifice. Is this not the least that God could expect from us? So believer, leave this place and resolve your life would be lived out in thanks. In thanks to the God of heaven who gave you Jesus Christ, to you who deserved hell, me too. Humble your heart as Hezekiah did and see if pride has choked out thankfulness. No Christian should ever stop pondering the question, day by day, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits to me? Let the question drive into your heart that you would remember his benefits always, giving thanks unto the God of heaven continually. Amen. Let us rise for prayer, if able. Our Father and our God, We confess, O God, that our hearts are often lifted up, that we have forgotten, like Hezekiah did for a time, the mercies of God. We believe our own PR, so to speak, that we are good and we are good apart from you. We believe that the the strength of our arm and the ingenuity of our minds and our hearts have gotten us all that we have. We forget that even our breath is a mercy from God. So many of us who have suffered with COVID or other ailments in the last couple of years, we remembered briefly what it was like to struggle for breath, and we remembered in that moment that even that breath was a mercy from God. And our hearts have been so lifted up that we forget that. Father, would you help us to always be thankful. Help us to render unto you according to the benefit you have given us. Help us to live as living sacrifices unto God for the glorious gospel, but also help us remember each and every particular providence of mercy. O Lord, would you be glorified tonight as your people have come to thank you and praise you. Give us humble hearts that cannot imagine why it is that you are so good to us. Help us to uh, give thanks to God always, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.